In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. A few years ago, my sister told me, oh, there's a television program you have got to see. It is right up your alley. It's called Dirty Jobs, starring Mike Rowe. The premise of the show is that Mike goes and apprentices himself to people who have dirty jobs. And he's uh, cleaned out grain bins, he's pitched manure, he's cleaned out sewers, he was a semen collector, he went to a dairy farm and pulled little Holsteins out of big Holsteins for a while. He's done a lot of things that are considered dirty jobs. And my sister thought that was great for me because they used to tease me when I was young and say, if there's a job that involves some kind of crap, you'll, you'll be doing it. Because I worked for a plumber and cracked open sewer lines and, and I pitched manure and baled hay and uh, cleaned toilets and cleaned out the gymnasium shower stalls and all this kind of stuff. I was always doing something that involved crap. And then even later on when I was in chemical dependency, it was the same thing. It was just metaphorical crap. You know, listen to the, the stuff that happened in people's lives. So, dirty jobs. At the time of Jesus, by far, the dirtiest job there was was not, nothing to do with sewers or grain dust or anything like that. It was being a tax collector. Tax collectors were about two notches below thieves and prostitutes. It was the dirtiest job because tax collectors were greedy, for one thing, and you know they took a lot of the people's money. But the second reason was even more important. They were considered traitorous because they were collecting money for a, a foreign country, the, the Roman Empire, which had conquered Israel. Not only that, but in addition to that, they were, it was a system that was rife with corruption because each tax collector was given a territory and he had to collect a certain denarii amount from that territory. And if he collected more than that, well, he could just stick that in his pocket. And people had to pay up, too, because he had the backing of Roman soldiers to do it. So he could extort money from them. He could strong-arm them into giving whatever money he, that he wanted them to give. So tax collectors were really looked down on. In today's Gospel lesson, this sets us up for the interaction with Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees look at Jesus and they see that he is sitting with Matthew, the tax collector, and other people of his ilk. And uh, they say to the disciples, Why does your teacher sit with tax collectors and sinners and eat with them? You know, what's the matter with him? If he's going to be a holy man, then he should be a little more holy than that. You can't hang around with riffraff and expect to be a holy man. Come on. And to be fair, I suppose there is something to their concern. Because after all, um, your grandmother probably warned you, uh, you know, one bad apple spoils the whole barrel. And your dad probably told you, if you run with trash, you become trash. And by the way, those of you who are parents, if you want to know what your kids are like when they're not around you, watch their friends. That's what they're like, or soon will be. So there is that uh, of, of saying, you know, I don't... I don't, I don't want to associate with that. Or as my dad put it, it's hard to soar with eagles when you run with turkeys. So, yeah, there, there's kind of a point to that. And the Pharisees, their name actually means the separate ones. It means we want to stay away from all that uh, bad behavior and all that stuff, that bad stuff. So the separate ones. The problem is that by this time, the Pharisees had devolved into not the separate ones, but the better ones. 
and look down their nose at other people and say, Oh Lord, the Pharisee and the publican, Oh Lord, I thank God that I am not like other people, especially that guy over there, sinner and tax collectors. And so they asked about Jesus. And Jesus overheard this and he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, just those who are sick. And I remember a few weeks ago I reminded you that this text is coming up uh, and and I, I gave you my favorite limerick about it. I'll give it to you again. A doctor fell into a well and broke his collarbone. The doctor should attend the sick and leave the well alone. That's what Jesus was doing. He was attending the sick and leaving the well alone. That's what Jesus always did in his ministry. He said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. And those who are lost need the most care and the most attention and the most healing. And that's what he gave them. He didn't just write them off and say, well, you know, these, are, these people are kind of sick, you know, spiritually, physically. Oops, can't hang around with them. Uh, it, it'd be kind of like saying, you know, there's a lot of sick people in Ball Hospital. Really? Where do you expect the sick people to hang out? You know, that's, that's what I always think about when people say, well, you know, there's hypocrites in church. And I'm always thinking, well, yeah, where do you think the hypocrites are going to hang out? They're sinners. They're where they belong. Get used to it. Help them. So Jesus is the great physician. He's also known as the great teacher. And uh, as a teacher, uh, there are certain things you have to have to be a good teacher. It's not just enough to know your subject and have a, a fine lesson plan and be organized. I have a lot of teachers in my family that I look up to. My mother was not only a registered nurse, but she taught high school for 10 years, health occupations. My sister is a, an early childhood major. She started Christian preschools everywhere they went. She started four or five of them, I think. She's the Johnny Appleseed of Christian preschools. And my daughter is a teacher. And one of the things I know about good teachers is not just that they know their subject and so forth, but that they take time with the students who struggle. They don't just write off students and say, well, you know, this kid's stupid, so I'll see what somebody else can do with them next year. They don't just say, oh, what's the matter with you? How many times have I told you this? You've you got to get this. They spend time. They encourage. They, they, <laughs> they teach. They try different methods of, of enlightening students. Good teachers always do that. They spend time, they take time, and they work with those who are struggling. And it might be because maybe they have a learning disability, and it might be that they're just slower on some subjects. Or it could be that they're so emotionally traumatized from the kind of dysfunctional family that they live in that it's hard for them to focus. So I remember one guy who was in drug alcohol treatment, he said, well, I wasn't a very good student in school. I probably could have been better. But, you know, when dad comes home and is drunk every night and beats the fire out of mom, it's kind of hard to concentrate. And so a good teacher will understand that and give them the kind of emotional support and help that they need. The Lord God is also known as a parent. He is God our Father. And as a good parent, he's going to give extra attention to his children who need it. Those of you who are parents or grandparents, you may have been surprised to learn that not all of your children are the same. And not only are they not the same as other people's kids, but one of your children is, may not be the same as your other children. You know, some kids just sail through life, and they do well academically, they do well athletically, they do well socially and emotionally, and other kids just struggle mightily. 
and they have a hard time getting it. And, and they really need a parent who is understanding and who is forgiving and who spends extra time and gives extra attention. The hope is that your other kids don't resent the extra attention. You never know. They might. But you, you have to do that if you're a good parent. So God is the great physician, the great teacher, and the great parent. The question for us today is, what are we going to look like in the Christian church? Are we going to take on those same characteristics? Or are we going to be a, a church that says, well, you know, when folks reach a certain standard of righteousness, then I guess they can belong. You know, are we going to be the, the church that when people struggle or they, we say, I don't know, they messed up again. I, I just can't believe it. For, forget about them. They're just, they're just a screw up and then they'll never get it. Are we going to be that kind of a church? Are we going to be, be the kind of church that uh, is, is always going like this, more and more welcoming, or are we going to be more like this? That's the question. When I was uh, in my first parish, it was a mission congregation, and uh, at the end of the, my time there, I was working uh, in chemical dependency full-time and had the church part-time. And it was kind of an odd thing. I began to attract drug addicts and alcoholics who were in recovery. And so I remember one day, uh, a fellow came to me that had gone through treatment. He was sober now for a while. And he says to me, hey, Cal, uh, I'm thinking about doing something religious to enhance my spirituality. I'm thinking about going to church, and I'm thinking about coming to your church. What do you think about that? You think if I darken the door, the roof would cave in? And I said, oh, no, no, it's a, we got big beams. It'll be fine. Just give it a shot. See what happens. So he came. And he was one of those guys that you could give feedback to, and he would really look at it and see if he needed to make changes. He was working on changing himself. He had a good, solid program of recovery, and he knew that he needed his higher power every day or he wouldn't be sober. So he really struggled with that relationship, trying to make it a good one. He worked on guilt. He worked on shame. He worked on all of those things, fear and grief and loss, all the things that you need to work on to be clean and sober. And he was doing a great job. But um, one of the elders said to me, he said, well, you know, it's, it's good that there's some people in the pews, but really, uh, I don't think these are the kind of people that can help us very much. And I, I must have given him a look that would wither grass because he went, well, you, you know what I mean. And, I, and I, I said, yeah, I do know what you mean. And I did, but I didn't like it. And that is because he was saying, we're looking for people that can help us in the church, not we're the church so that we can help other people. We're supposed to be doing the opposite of what President John F. Kennedy said in his inaugurational desk. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We're doing it the other way. Ask not what you can do for the church. Ask what the church can do for you. And so this, this man uh, that I was telling you about, he worked and he, he did well. And he was, you know, if you would confront him on something, he, he, would, he was still a little rough around the edges. He would go, damn, I'm going to have to pray about that. But people did recognize that what he had was real, that he was sincere, that he was genuine. There was no phoniness about his relationship with the, with the Lord. And the interesting thing was that by the time I left North Dakota to move to Indiana, he was the president of the congregation. People recognized that despite the rough edges, he had something real that they wanted. 
That's the task of the church, to take people who are hurting and who are lost and who are lonely and who are afraid and say, we have something for you. We're going to do that. That's still the task of the Christian church. God has a plan that he wants everybody to be whole and healthy and, and feel good about themselves and about him. And we are the agency by which that happens. So we want to make sure that we are not, that, well, hmm, let me say that the other way around. Make sure that we are a hospital for, for sinners to go get patched up every week. We are a hospital for sinners. And we are not just a museum where the righteous go get dusted off once a week. So they asked Jesus, and they said, Why does your teacher sit with tax collectors and sinners? Answer, because they need it. And we are to make sure they get it. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.